want to welcome you back into another episode of A Quick Time Out. Today's guest is another great teacher of the game. I'm joined by Bethel University's Doug Novak. Today's topic primarily focuses on teaching special situations out of set plays, but many of the principles he talks about really are applicable to many facets of the game. I've had the privilege to talk to Coach Novak on several occasions, and I leave every conversation with pages of notes. I know you'll get a lot just out of this 20-minute conversation. Before we get any further, I want to thank, again, 323 Sports for sponsoring the podcast. Before you make another purchase for your program, I really would suggest giving these guys a call. Their customer service, speed of delivery, and products are phenomenal. The best way to get connected with them is through their website. You can find them at 323sports.com. I hope you enjoy today's interview with Coach Doug Novak. Coach Doug Novak from Bethel University in Minnesota joins us today. Coach, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Today's episode is a little bit different from the standpoint that I'm typically the one who comes up with topics for guests, but actually today's topic is the result of a question that Coach Novak asked me a couple months ago. Unfortunately for him, about nine months ago, I realized that he works about 10 minutes from my in-laws there in Minnesota. So unfortunately for him, every time I visit now, I bug Coach Novak, but he's always gracious enough to take the time for me. And when we met this past summer, he asked me and my friend, Coach John Carrier, who a lot of you know from Twitter, about how we go about teaching new plays. Um, and so coach, kind of before we go through that process, was this teaching technique something that you just randomly tried in practice or was it a response to you not feeling like the players were paying attention or how did you go about changing the way that maybe you taught these these plays? Well, I think just about like everything, it, it evolved into what was successful. What I didn't enjoy as a, as a teacher and a coach is to constantly having to say, pay attention. I need your eyes. You, know, you, you need to do that every once in a while. But if, if that's something that's happening over and over, I think we as teachers and coaches might need to evaluate how we're presenting the material because obviously it's not enough to keep their, their attention. So that that's kind of how it all started and it evolved into the way we would introduce a new topic or a, a new set play. I'm sure you've observed coaches go through this process a lot of times, and I'm guessing that we weren't the first coaches that you asked this question to. When you ask coaches a similar question, what kind of responses do you get from them? It, I mean, it's usually pretty standard in terms of, you know, some of them might put it up, give them a piece of paper. Some of them may, um, you know, introduce it and then try to play with it right away. We, we just try to string it along. One, I, I, I really do respect the game and I think it's hard. Like I think this game isn't as easy sometimes as, as what we might think. And maybe it's the older you get, the longer you've been away with actually having to put a ball in your hand and, and bounce that thing hard and have it come up right to your hand and being able to throw the right kinds of passes. So I, I try to have some empathy for these guys and know that, that it's not easy. So so how we would typically do it would be through our installation. As soon as the guys come in the door, they line up on the baseline and they know their groups and we would have four groups. And so one guy may be in three groups. He may be a primary handler in the first group. He might be a secondary handler in the second group. So we have three different groups at, at the main basket. And then our fourth basket, we'll have guys that are on the bottom of our roster who may struggle with learning. For whatever reason, they're not in the, the rotation. And so they're at the fourth basket with another coach. And then we'll slowly introduce, introduce a set action. 
that we're going to go through for the day. And now they still have to work their feet. They still have to throw the proper passes, but they are doing it slow and we are teaching slow. So one group goes through it. The second group goes up. They'll go through it. Third group. Now, meanwhile, at that fourth or at the other basket with that fourth group, they get three reps for every set that the one group would have. So they actually get more opportunities to go through it. Uh, so that that's kind of our initial phase. And then we just leave it. Uh, everybody in the gym is getting an opportunity to go through that set. And then we'll just walk away from it. And then we'll start our habits of movement, kind of a defensive warm up that we do for 10 to 12 minutes, uh, which is always followed with some sort of speed running, uh, fast break, up court passing type drill. So they're a little bit winded and then we go to a shooting and that's just kind of a typical shell of our practice. And we do a team or a, a two minute shooting drill. So we have three at every basket. And so after two minutes is up, uh, then what we like to do is to take, well, I'll just call it out. I say group number one, you are running square and everybody runs to the main court there's a lot of energy, and then group number one's got to execute that full speed. So it's the pressure of speed in front of your teammates, and then we might have a coach with an air dummy on you for, for the final finishing act. You know, I'll call rant, and I want that to be a little bit random so we don't go in order. You don't know it's your turn coming, and you might not even know which set you're going to do because we usually put in about three, you know, just from an installation purpose. Uh, then the next shooting group goes, we go back to our baskets, music's on, they go through their little two-minute drill, and then in between, before we go to the next shooting, we're on to the next one, or say group four, you guys are executing uh, slice spin, and they go through it. And then, so again, no, it's not five on five, it's, it's not really decision making, the pressure is speed of execution. Uh, in front of your teammates and if there's a mistake made we usually say turnover next groups in uh, so that so there's a little bit of camaraderie that's built through that pressure and the randomness so they don't know what's coming uh, and then after that we would we would uh, after that shooting drill I mean we might the third time that they would touch that set would be a five on five and then we would test it five on five you know, and then get on to the rest of the practice. But before they, you know, again, I, I do respect the game. I think it's hard. I want to give these guys time and want to have different tension uh, to the learning environment. So that first part of installation, if you were to take a rubber band, it would be, it would be a little bit tight, but not, you're not stretching it that far. That second time that they touch it with the speed, uh, we would tighten that rubber band a little bit more. And then by the third time, when we when they get to ex execute that set live, it, that, that rubber band is going to be pretty tight uh, in trying to do the execution. And then somewhere later on in practice, we'd probably go through that one more time in some live action. But that's kind of our blueprint on, on how we install something. When you went through this the first time, what what was the what were the players' response to this? Well, I think they liked it. You know, there there are a lot of different ways to learn you know some guys say they like it on paper some guys say that they need to watch it on film some guys say they need to see it happen first and and, and the reality is we got to be good at all of them but what it did is is at the beginning of practice during installation which we all probably put something in at the beginning of practice to know that right around the corner i'm going to be tested on it 
it just I th- I thought it, it it increased our focus because it was meaningful. They knew what we were saying. They were going to have to perform it in front of their teammates. And when, whenever that happens, they get a little bit more excited to focus on the task at hand, you know, as opposed to just doing it because a coach says to do it. And you know what? I, I might not have to ever be in that situation. They know they're going to be in that situation. So what I found over the years when we went to this format is that I was saying, I was having to say less, give me your eyes. I need you to pay attention instead of screwing around on the sideline because they were going to be tested in the next 10 minutes, you know, on that full speed. So the, the, the game, the practice format, however you want to say it, really took care of those guys paying attention. Aside from being able to keep their attention a little bit better, did you feel like you ended up kind of doing a little bit less coaching from the perspective that maybe the, did the players start coaching themselves a little more? No question, because if you're the guy during the speed aspect of that, you know, the, the second time that they're touching it, trying to execute it with speed, and you're the guy that screws it up, I mean, your team's not going to be that excited about your performance. And so they can take care of some things internally as opposed to just one nagging voice, that being the coach. And so there, there are some unintended consequences, positive ones, I'm sure, with this whole thing. Like a lot of things, you, you have an idea, uh, you put it out there, and you have no idea what all the, all the surrounding uh, positive aspects or negative uh, that go with it. Now, do you all have a lot of set plays? Uh, no, I, I don't know. That's, that's a hard one to ask. Uh, is this more we're thinking more of like out of bounds place with this it could be an action coming coming down and sometimes we just like to move people i just met with with one of the beeline guys uh that had coached with them or played for him and and there it's a great way to play you know it's really neat how they name everything and i mean they name everything hmm. and we like to name things within offense you know, like certain cuts, you know, a cut in front of the ball is a slice cut. If I pass it, you know, I put my fingers out in front, like I could get a give and go. So we call that one a fingers cut. And there's meaning and purpose behind like those cuts. But, you know, in terms of that's it, like we don't have an, an offense, you know, that the, there's no name for it, but just inside of it, there's, there's actions and movements that we will name. So when you ask about set plays, I, mean, I guess they're set plays, but we might just be calling one of those cuts or a player to come into a certain spot with an action, but it's more manipulation of personnel uh, to get to their strengths a little bit faster. So in, in essence, I guess it is a set play, but to us, they're just, they're just the same actions that we always do within core offense, uh, and we're just manipulating where they're coming from and who's doing it. We can talk about the half court stuff here in just a few moments, but kind of going back to these set plays, whether they're out of bounds plays or, you know, an ATO, I'm just trying to think for, for a coach who's teaching this, how frequently are you introducing new set plays? Because most of us now are right here at the beginning of the season and we've got our whole playbook that we want to introduce, but the rollout of what that looks like, how quickly do you get to all of those set plays? And do you feel like this technique allows you to accelerate the learning process on behalf of the players? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so there's like different versions of set plays for us. And if I looked at the first layer of set plays that we might want to introduce to our guys, those set plays would be out of 
you know, whatever core offense you have, whatever your offense is, it's one of those manipulation ones. We're going to move guys in certain spots. So that first level, we're really working on our core offense, but then we're also working on, you know, again, getting a guy, a right-handed driver, a drive with his right hand, you know, coming from that left wing, attacking that middle. So we might do some manipulation ones there that helps them learn the basic core offense. Uh, and it gives them some better ideas of, of basic terminology. And and then there's a next level of set plays for us that kind of looks like core, but there's a, there's a little variation. And so I don't want, I never want to introduce those too early because I don't want to screw with the core offense of, of what we think is important and how we're going to play. And, and, and ultimately what I think is basically going to win a game. I don't think set plays are ever going to win a game. Mm-hmm. I think they're fun to have and I think they're useful, but you know, the, the ability to take care of those fundamentals and in, in whatever your core offense might be. And then that third level, depending on the maturity of the team, the experience of the team, you know, those may, ha- may be just a little bit different than what you do core offense wise, a nice little uh, change of pace, um, you know, so like the first one, if you're, if you were looking at it as an art project, you know, your first, my, our first sets are more like pencil sketches, you know, the next ones are charcoal, which, you know, a little bit tougher. And then that last part is like watercolor and you got to learn how to balance the, the whole color palette. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we will stay with those first pencil charcoal ones for a long time you know, evaluating our team to see how far we're going to go and, and all the things that we can or can't do. Usually those things over the summer and the spring or the spring and the summer, as you're going into the season, you think you can do a lot. And then you get that team right in front of you. You say, what was I thinking? And, and that's the great thing about competition is that it does narrow your focus to, to what's important and, and why are we running these sets in the first place in this age you can just get you can get lost on the internet mm-hmm. and, and there's so many neat things that you might want to do but you know ultimately i think you need to ask yourself the question is like why mm-hmm. because it looks good because someone else scored on it and then you got to evaluate you know do i have the personnel for that to happen or what you know the great question is like what what do i want mm-hmm. What do we want? You know, and then that helps, you know, kind of define the playbook in, in my mind is that we want to get to the things that we're good at. So we're only going to call a set play if there's a specific reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes they just need a little bit of help or, or assurance and get that ball moving a little bit. Sometimes that could be a, a, a wise use of a set play, but sometimes a guy's got a hot hand or a really good matchup. And for us, it's usually about a matchup and why we would want to run a set play. At the heart of this is really just understanding your players and understanding how they can learn better and you being able to teach better, whether that's through these set plays or or through your half court offense. And kind of that leads me to what I want to ask next. It's a point that you brought up earlier. You didn't use the exact term, but you used part of the word. But when we met originally, you mentioned the term randomization and how that has kind of aided to the learning process for your players. And even because of the kind of offense that you run, where you're kind of playing out of concepts and making reads and then also making decisions, how do you feel like being able to play like that? And then how to, how to be able to even teach on a very practical level, being teaching set plays like we just talked through, how does randomization play a part in the learning process for your players? 
Again, I think there's, I mean, Chris Oliver states that this, this whole concept so well, uh, I, I don't have as, as good of a grasp of it. I'm, I'm more of a feel coach. Uh, I know when I've gone over and put one too many sets in, I can just see it in the eyes. You just feel it. You start to slow down their feet. They're starting to think too much. And, and so sometimes you have to go, go backwards. Uh, to touch back a little bit on a question, I don't know if I hit on it, like how many a day are we doing it? It's, it's usually about three. Sometimes we'll put in, and it's every day we're putting in something. Hmm. Sometimes we don't ever use the play. Um, and I never think it's wasted time. I can, I can just see it. And I, you know, after a couple reps, it just doesn't look right. It's going to, the play itself is great. It's going to take way too much time to be good at it. And it's not, it's too expensive. I don't have enough practice time to be great at that play. It's not worth it. We won't, we won't run it. But I, but the reason that I want to do something like that every day is because I do, the brain is a muscle and they just get good at learning. And so it's not always about that particular set play. It's about the ability to teach guys how to learn. It's, it's about teaching them how to pay attention and, and really how to think about a game. And it kind of, it comes in handy during a timeout. If you see something and you want to just pull something out and say, you know what, I see that the defender is guarding this way. You know, let's, instead of stopping at that block, I want you to cut all the way through. Our guys are used to doing that on a daily basis, making slight adjustments within what we do for a set play. So I think that part of it is really good. Now, in terms of the, the random parts of practice, we, we do have a shell of consistency within our practice, but I, but I never want those guys, our guys necessarily just feeling like, here we go again. I can't wait for this drill to be done. I can't wait for this part of the practice to be done. So I like to make sure that there's variation within each one of those segments. And our segments are never very long. We go, we go pretty fast from one to the next, but there is a slight variation to each one. So if you're just totally random, I personally don't like that mm -hmm. because, and I think it's tougher to catch the guys to, to pay attention, even though you can, if they can be fun, it's like having dessert all the time, but nothing is connecting with, with a little bit of a structure to the practice. It gives us something to connect to, but then not knowing exactly which group's going to be in there, not knowing exactly which set's going to be run, not, not sure uh, who's going to be subbing in for this certain time time period? Uh, that there's a, there's an edge to practice mm -hmm. that that we create without necessarily having to compete every single time uh, in practice against another body. You know, there's our body competition, there's an advantage competition, but then there's a comp competition for standard of play, and, and I think that one is just as important, and that's the one you got to coach even harder when there's more air and less people out there and it might just be an air dummy that we're finishing against. But I mean, we are, we are coaching those feet and the passing and, and how we want to look uh, the attention to detail is like, that's where uh, from a coaching staff standpoint, we're, we're probably the most on edge to, to get to perfection. At the end of a season, do you feel like this allows you to keep their attention better and keep them engaged better teaching this way? I think so. And then, and then really, it's, you know, the emphasis of the set play, since, you know, that was the topic. Uh, I try to have a general rule is that we want to run them all great. And, and so does everybody else in the country. 
but we kind of have this agreement with our players is that I'm not going to yell at you for screwing up a set play. Again, it's just our philosophy. We just don't think the set play is going to win you that game. Now, we want to do it. But when we're working on that stuff, it it's more about the finishing act of that play. So if it's for a ceiling high-low post-up, where we want to spend the bulk of our time working on that ceiling high-low post-up, regardless of how we get there. You know, we might have 15 different ways to get that action. I'm less concerned about that. I'm more concerned about the finishing part of it in terms of can our guys work our shooting footwork and change that shot to an overhead pop where we don't have to put the ball behind our head and can go straight up and wrist it in like the old Tex winter days. Hmm. And then can our post catch it with two hands, two feet, and then set a screen with his shoulder while he's laying it in with his left hand. I want to make sure that our guys know it's about them and not about our great set plays. Mm -hmm. And so the focus of practice stays on them on that finishing act. And then that other part is just, we just kind of, we can introduce those things in and they, they know they can get to their comfort zone and their comfort zone zone is that end scoring action. Mm -hmm. So I don't want those set plays to, to, uh, overshadow the the abilities of those guys and especially I don't want it to overshadow our practice time in developing those scoring opportunities just finishing up here uh, I know a lot of coaches that are listening to this if this is the first time they're hearing you then they're going to be more intrigued and you have a ton of resources for coaches you want to tell people where they can find those yeah we have a we have a fun website it's it's coach com. And, and there's a lot of our practice drills and style of play. And there's, there's quite a few videos on there. And then there's a, there's a, actually a PowerPoint that's, that's pretty good. It's on practice organization that we did for the, high, the Minnesota High School Coaches Association. Coaches, just make sure that your calendar is relatively free when you go to Coach Novak's site. I've had people tell me they logged on and then two hours later found themselves still looking through the site. So there are diagrams, videos, infographics, even more than he's tipping his hand to. So a ton of great resources. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share the podcast with your coaching friends to help us grow the game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.